Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group founded and headed by yours truly. And today I am coming to you for episode 146, film 162, Killer Barbies. And on this episode, I am joined by two first-time Jess Franco viewers, two friends of mine uh, that are in my film, She Knows Ferratu, and that would be Red and Euphoria. So it was fun watching this film, Killer Barbies, with them. Um... I have the Redemption Blu-ray that I watched, and it was weird because I put it in my all-region, uh, region-free Blu-ray player, and I had it set on Region A, and every time I put it in, it would say, this is a format for Region A, please select the correct region. So again, I put it on Region A, and it still went through the same thing. I switched to B, then Region C, and it kept having to do that bunches of times and just would not play. So I had to take it out and play it through my PlayStation 4, which uh, I don't ever play video games anymore, but I just use it as a backup. And so, yeah, it was interesting. I had to pull that out of the mothballs and run it through there, and then it worked fine. We watched the English dubbed with subtitles, and oh boy, that was very interesting watch. So um, the doesn't fit right and it's very funny so yeah i would recommend if you're looking for a good laugh to watch the uh, english dubbed with english subs so all right well if you're a regular listener to the show you know how we run this deal so uh but before i get into the meat of the film and the meat of the book let me just do a quick plug um I have a commercial already set for the Blu-ray portion of the film where we talk about the Desperate Visions Blu-rays available. Once again, we have now uh, Mondo Sacramento, which I don't know if I have that recorded in the commercial or not, but we have Mondo Sacramento, Lady Hyde, Emmanuel in Sin City, the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, Volume 2, and the Nudie Cutie double feature of The Desires of Dawn and... Mondo Visions, and uh, all those are available on Blu-ray for $20 each, and uh, free shipping after you buy a few titles. Um, but yeah, get a hold of me. You can reach me at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com, or the Franco Observer at Yahoo.com, or you follow me on Instagram, the Facebook Observer, or um, Facebook, you can get a hold of me, and I'll send you the link. You can either order from me or order from my online store. And um, we have all the Blu-rays up there for you to look at and see what you think and all that. But, yeah, I've had a lot of happy customers. Everybody's digging them. So, all right, got that out. Um, also, uh, we have Mondo Sacramento 2 and uh, Mondo Sacramento, the sequel, Mondo Sacramento 2. And Lady Hyde, or, of course, playing on Tubi. Uh, Lady Hyde is also on Amazon Prime, and actually Lady Hyde's on 12 streaming channels now, so that's pretty cool. So if you have a streaming station, chances are you'll see it on there. And we have uh, Mondo Sacramento 2 and Emmanuel and Sin City on the Reveal Network and Cineverse and a bunch of other stuff. So please watch and support Desperate Visions by watching 
Lady Hyde or Mondo Sacramento to on Tubi because those pay the best and uh, actually makes it worth my while. The other ones are really small. They're streaming charges, to be totally honest with you, because I'm a very transparent person. So I would say, please watch Tubi first. They pay the best. So uh, if you want to donate to the podcast, either one time or reoccurring, you can at the Red Circle homepage, the uh, homepage of the of the uh, podcast. Um, we got actually one person has donated for a long time, and I thank you, whoever you are. Uh, but yeah, man, I don't know. I do this every week for free, going on could be three years. So if you uh, dig the show, I would appreciate if you throw me some money. I need it. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, please do so. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Radio Public, all your favorite platforms. This podcast is on probably 10 to 20 uh, podcast platforms at least. Kind of lost count. Um, also, too, if you want to rate it, leave a good review, I'd appreciate that. It's uh, Even though we're getting close to the end here, this podcast will probably turn into something else. Uh, I don't know if it'll be weekly, but it will continue to pump out stuff, although it may transform from Franco to something else. But keep listening, and you'll be on the same... Um, it'll be the same... Um, that's the right word. It'll be the same platform and the same feed and everything, so you'll you won't have to change anything. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, tell a friend if you like this podcast. Tell people about it. Word of mouth uh, is always appreciated, especially when I have zero money for advertising. Uh, also, if you like Desperate Visions Productions and you want to help me out by telling people about my films, about the website, about uh, where to get my Blu-rays, I would sincerely appreciate it. Because I am an army of one, and anybody that can help me uh, sell my films and get the word out is always appreciated. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, once again, you can at francoobserver at yahoo.com or desperatevisions at yahoo.com. And we have a Facebook page for Franco Observer Podcast and an Instagram page for the Franco Observer Podcast. So. All right, well, once again, we get all information on the making of the film and all the technical details from the book Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2, by Mr. Stephen Thrower. All right, here's what he has written. Killer Barbies, Spain, 1996. Original theatrical title and country of origin, Killer Barbies, B-A-R-B-Y-S. Alternative title, Vampire Killer Barbies, was the UK DVD title. The Portugal DVD title was O Massacre dos Barbies. Only two Barbies. Um, Ojos Sangritos was the pre-shooting title. And Killer Barbies was the shooting title. Um, production company, Civic Producciones SL out of Spain. Prospero SL out of Spain. Minchetta Benet SL out of Spain, three Spanish production companies, actually four, uh, uh, Janito Santos PC. Theatrical distributor is Jacinto Santos Paris. Uh, timeline on this shooting date is circa January slash February 1996. It played Festimad Madrid May 8th of 96, like three months later, that's awesome. Spanish approval date, May 22nd, 96. And it played Madrid, May 24th of 96. 
and finally went on VHS under the Spanish tie, Spanish company Manga Films, and that was in 98. Theatrical running time, 94 minutes. The DVD running time of the U.S. Shriek Show NTSC DVD is 87 minutes, 6 seconds. The version I watched says uh, 90 minutes, so we're right in the middle on that one. Uh, director, of course, we all know who, uh, Jess Franco. Executive producer, Palucha Baquero, Manuel Camacho, Emilio Menchata, Juanito Santos, original story, Jess Franco, screenplay and dialogue, Paxti Aragoyan, and Jess Franco as David Kuhn II. Uh, music, of course, Killer Barbies and Sexy Sadie, along with Daniel J. Franco. I'm sorry, Daniel J. White and Jess Franco. You know, Daniel J. Franco could make sense because uh, they used to do the uh, um, poncho, you know, uh, alias. Um, let's see. Director of photography, Javier Perez Zofito. Editor, Lina Romay as Rosa Ma Almoral. Uh, soundtrack, Sutterfuge Records. Production design, Tomas Sima de Vela. Uh, costume designer, he's got special effects. He's got sound editor, script supervisor, Lina Romay. Makeup, Patricia Sanz Sala. First assistant director, Jose Manuel Benyas. It's funny he has no um, Antonio Mayans on this. Interesting. He must have uh, took a break at this time. Wow, he's got an auxiliary camera, stage manager, still photographer, second assistant production, assistant electrician, camera trainees, assistant special effects, making of, security, press publicity, trainees, uh, music. Okay, here's a sticking point for us. Music, Love Killer, which they play so many times. Uh, I Want to Live in Tromaville, No Future, and Comic Books, written and performed by the Killer Barbies. In the Water, Let Me Rock You, The Aware, Lonely Green Tongue, Hi-o. Plastic Face, Outer Space, The Dole Figure Night, Han Glover, and Johnny the Good, performed by Sexy Sadie. Piet de Tre, Cies la Fille de Vint, written by Daniel J. White. Uh, camera Equipment, Laboratory, Titles, Sound Re-Recording, Lighting Equipment, Gross uh, logo, thanks to do 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 do. Film made entirely in Comunidad Valencia. All right, cast on this: Santiago Segura plays Balstar. Mariangela Giordano plays the Countess. Aldo Sambrell plays Arkin. Charlie S. Chaplin plays Mario. Sylvia Superstar plays Flavia. Carlos Subterfuge plays Rafa. Los Angeles Barrera, that's funny, as Angie Barrera, plays Sharon. Billy King plays Billy. Pepe Lopez plays Pipa. Alberto Martinez plays Pipo. That's the two little people in this. And also this film features Enrique Lopez Lavigne and Javier Bonilla. Um, I read the synopsis coming up, but I'll still read it again for a second time. Driving between rock venues in Spain one night, a touring punk band called the Killer Barbies are stranded in a remote countryside after their van gets stuck in a pothole. A courtly old man called Arkan, secretary of the Countess von Fledermaus, invites the group to spend the night at the Countess's castle. Flavia, Rafa, and Mario accept the invitation, but Billy and Sharon stay behind. 
opting to spend the night screwing in the van. On meeting the Countess, the band members are startled to realize that she is also the artist known as Olga Lanchan. Lanchan is supposedly to have been born over a hundred years ago. The band wonders how she could have remained looking so young. Eventually, they discover the Countess is a vampire who feeds on the blood of young people to rejuvenate herself. Meanwhile, Arkin's brutal and simple-minded servant, Balstar, hunts down and kills Billy and Sharon. All right, production notes. By 1995, Jess Franco had virtually retired. He had made a film for three years, which might not seem very long to most directors, but for a man who once shot 12 films in a year, this was a veritable aeon. Aeon. In 1994, breaking a decades-long habit, he'd attempted to obtain finance from the Institut de Cinematographia, the ICAA, a government organization supposedly set up to fund Catalonian film productions. Franco submitted a treatment for a film called Los Misteriosa Pista del Buda, The Mysterious Path of Buddha, through the Spanish production company Emateo, part of a project package with two other proposals, La Magatoire de la Tragedia, to be directed by Francisc Cuerra, and Estemos en el Ere, planned for Manuel Esteban, the, the cinematographer responsible for Quedec Vampire. However, the ICAA rejected the whole package. Given Franco's lifelong dislike of officialdom, the sniffy remarks of an ICAA spokesman, spokesperson quoted in the press about the decision cannot have eased his irritation. They said, In my opinion, the recent recovery of 30% for Catalonia from the total amount of aid that the Ministry of Culture grants to film production was an important objective, but precisely because of that, I believe that this 30% obliges us to maintain a minimum standard of product quality. Blessed relief from the prison of blessed relief from the prison of semi-retirement came when a Madrid-based independent music entrepreneur named Carlos Galan, aka Carlos Sutterfuge, introduced Franco to a Spanish punk band called the Killer Barbies, led by vocalist Sylvia Superstar and drummer Billy King. Franco had heard the band's debut album, Dressed to Kiss, 1995, and hit upon the idea of adding the group to a script he'd been tinkering with concerning a bunch of tourists who got lost and find themselves menaced by a vampire when they seek shelter in an old castle. During post-production on the film in March 1996, an American writer and publisher named Kevin Collins visited Malaga and spent time with Franco and Leah Romay in preparation for a career-spanning interview. He soon found himself involved in the process of finishing Franco's latest film, as he explained in a 1996 special edition of the late great Craig Ledbetter's European Trash Cinema Special Number One, Jess Franco. Jess took Hugh, he says, Jess took Hugh and me along to the video studio to watch the very interesting and entertaining color and brightness enhancing transfer process as Jess supervised a new edition of the trailer. And topping it all off for me, Jess actually asked me for and accepted my opinion of the title of the film. Although the rock band for which the film is named after is called the Killer Barbies, B-A-R-B-I-E-S, Jess didn't want to tempt fate or taunt the powers to be over at Mattel Toys, so he decided to retitle the film with a phonetical equivalent of the word Barbies. 
the tongue-defining title, which had already been burnt onto the screen, was Killer Barbies, B-A-R-B-Y, B-A-R-B-Y-E-S. When I told Jess that Barbies sounded neither like Barbies nor anything else, he asked me how I would spell it. My suggestion and the title which was immediately emblazoned upon the screen was the current and soon-to-be-famous Killer Barbies, B-A-R-B-Y-S. Review by Stephen Thrower. Killer Barbies follows the adventures of a rock band called The Killer Barbies, spelt differently in the title to avoid litigation from toy manufacturer Mattel, whose tour van breaks down one night in a remote countryside. As dry ice wafts across the screen, the band meets the sinister Archon, a well-dressed older man who claims to represent a local noblewoman, Olga Lonchen, the Countess of Flatterbaus. Three of the group accept his offer of a bed for the night at the Countess's castle, only to discover that the host likes to rejuvenate herself by consuming the life force of unwary young travelers. The killer Barbies fit the bill perfectly, young, dumb, full of cum, with a small enough fan base not to be missed. Wow. Well, the Countess increased the posthumous value of the killer Barbies' back catalog by murdering the lot of them, or will the band get all 80s on her ass and fight back? As a shopping list of elements for a horror film, Campfest, this could sound promising. There's nudity, decapitation, blood-streaked cadavers hung by the ankles, midgets doing what midgets do in the situation, and a man being gorily stabbed during sex by a raving young, raving vampire woman. Unfortunately, it's just all a festering embarrassment filled with idiotic characters and witless dialogue. Some critics claim the killer Barbie sees Franco engaging with youth culture. If this is true, then heads up, aging filmmakers. You can learn a lot. Just import a group of t-shirt-clad rockers into your narrative, and, well, that's it. Job done. The mere presence of a rock band is enough to rebrand your ouvrier for the younger generation. Don't forget to use lots of their music on the soundtrack, too. That'll really seal the deal. If you want to know how just how engaged Jess Franco is with these youngsters and their tepid version of post-grunge punk rock, we learn that they like a joint, enjoy sex, and find the artifacts in the Countess's castle spooky. That totally looks like a horror film, says one examining a stuffed monkey head on a fireplace. Sympathetic commentators are on a slight firmer ground when they point out that the film is structured as a generational conflict. The casting of 59-year-old Mariangela Giordano, playing a sex-crazed vampire who sucks on the life essence of teenagers, suggests that Franco was indeed working along these lines. What a shame that the story given the gives the talented Giordano so little to chew on when it comes to exploring this promising theme. Horny young rockers, good old wealthy bitch bad. Sorry, horny young rockers, good wealthy old bitch bad. Just about sums it up. Trooping a Scooby-Doo van load of young people into the narrative predicated on the wickedness of the older generation is a trope already explored with a great deal more economy and wit in Mario Bava's Bay of Blood, 1971 in which a quartet of jolly young victims roll into the story without warning, only to be picturesquely slaughtered to the accompaniment of a gradually encroaching mood of melancholy and doom. Here, however, no vestige of real horror is allowed to darken the film's just-for-larfs attitude. 
In a gesture that had this old punk retching over his bondage slippers, the end credits announced, Finally, nobody really died. The proof of it is that we can applaud them this evening in Valencia. Our story is, in reality, a creation of pure fantasy. Whew, I'm glad that's settled. We don't want the fans having nightmares. We need to examine one more piece of the puzzle to explain why, why Killer Barbies is bad in a way that even clunkers like La Esclava Blanca or Downtown Heat are not. Image quality. Although shot on Super 16mm film, this is the first Jess Franco film to be heavily tampered with in a video edit suite. The result is an image that looks more like videotape than celluloid, the line between the two having been eroded so much, not so much by video upgrading to resemble film, but to film being tweaked until it resembles video, a process involving the suppression of grain in favor of higher and higher resolution. Franco would soon embrace the money-saving possibilities of shooting entirely on video, but thanks to some very poor telecine error transfer practices, Killer Barbie already looks like it. To see what I mean, look at the close-ups during the scene in Balsar's Cannibal Kitchen. It's true. As if to mount a rear-guard action against the ugliness of the image, occasional lens smearing has been added to soften the ugly televisual clarity. Unfortunately, it's the kind of tacky diffuse lighting you expect for romantic flashbacks in a cheap cable TV show, and it does the film no favors at all. Perhaps Franco hoped it would make the dry ice look less hokey, but when you end up with an effect more suited to a sparkling wine commercial, you should really think again. That's funny. Uh, cast and crew. Sylvia Superstar, Sylvia Garcia Pintos, and Billy King, Antonio Dominguez, formed The Killer Barbies in 1994 and released their first album, Dressed to Kiss, on Toxic Records in 1995. Of the real-life group, only Superstar and King actually appear in the film. The other onstage band members are actors, including Charles S. Chaplin, who had played a leading role a couple years earlier in Franco's unreleased Jungle of Fear. Maria Angela Giordano, an actress familiar to Italian exploitation lovers, like yours truly, uh, familiar to us as the mother of her nipple bitten off by her zombie son in Andrea Bianchi's Burial Ground, 1981, soars over the top during her climatic sex and death scene, but at least she's a proper actress whose face communicates more than just the satisfaction of being in a movie. Thank goodness, too, for reliable old pro Aldo Sambrell as Arkin, he manages to remain plausible despite being dubbed atrociously and paired up with the appalling Santiago Segura from Alex de la Iglesia's Day of the Beast and Action Utate, whose self-indulgent performance winks at the audience and says, Hey, look, you guys, I'm in a horror film. Music. Does it matter... Where are we at? Okay. Does it matter that... I personally find the Killer Barbies utterly bland and derivative. Not really. Complaining about their music is pretty redundant, given that the film was supposed to be about them. Who else should they sound like? They are what they are. The real problem is in the way in which their songs are used by Franco, smeared here, there, and everywhere like a dirty protest against the film's tenuous atmosphere. The fact that these same numbers repeat over and over again simply compounds the felony. That's very true. By the way, in case you were tempted to criticize the musical limitations of the band, one of them plays the opening bars of Box, Tocta, and Fugue in D minor on a harpsichord in the villainous castle. So suck on that, 4Gs, fogies. These kids can play a classical too. 
Actually, it's one of the faux members, actor Charles S. Chaplin. Note, too, that Franco's own maunderings on the synthesizer, which pop up occasionally for the scary bits, are just terrible. A couple of naff presets on a Yamaha DX7 keyboard, across which he swishes his fingers like a cleaner doing the dusting. Um, this dispiriting given that Franco had shown consummate skills with atonality in his previous scores. Demer points to are for the live location sound recordings, another technical choice which squashes the atmosphere. Location, Colera near Valencia. Connections. Uh, the corpse-like countess bathes in the blood of the young people to rejuvenate her flesh, which adds a touch of the Countess Bathory legend previously touched upon in Female Vampire. Yeah, Elizabeth Bathory. I totally caught that. Uh, the murderous, his words here, retarded servant Balsar is a repackaging of Franco's beloved Morpho, albeit played by an actor who makes even Dracula, prisoner of Frankenstein's Louis Barbu, seem like a measurable thespian talent. Killer Barbies sees the first and only reference in a Jess Franco film to Mr. Bean and Upstairs Downstairs. Uh, the dialogue quote is, I love you more than Paul loved Virginie. Cyrano loved Roxette more than Romeo loved Juliet, says Arkin to the Countess. The second and third of these references will need no explanation. The first, however, is a little more obscure. Paul et Virginie is the name of a nineteen or a 1787 novel by Jacques-Henri Bernardin de Saint-Pierre concerning two characters whose childhood friendship blossoms into love. So there is the writings on that. So that takes us to a decent time. Good, good. All right. So I think I'm going to keep this a little bit short because we recorded the uh, review is with us is almost an hour long. It's 50 something minutes long. So that should take us to about an hour and a half or so. So that should be about good. So uh, hang out past the break and you'll hear the little uh, commercial I did for the Mondo, I'm sorry, for the Desperate Visions Productions Blu-rays. And uh, after that, you'll hear the review by first-time viewers Red and Euphoria about the film Killer Barbies. So, uh, hope you like it. We had fun watching it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon on the next episode. Buenas noches, maha. Buenas noches. Ah. Hi, this is filmmaker Jason Rudy with Desperate Visions Productions, and I'm here today to talk to you about my Blu-ray releases. All new this year, 2023, from Desperate Visions Productions. This has been a busy year for me, as I have put out Lady Hyde on streaming services, Emmanuel in Sin City on streaming channels, and my film from 2013, Mondo Sacramento 2, which is on streaming channels. Lady Hyde is on Tubi and Amazon Prime. Emmanuel in Sin City is on the Reveal Network and a few other streaming channels. And Mondo Sacramento 2 is on Tubi and Momitu. So please check those three titles out and tell others about them. On the Blu-ray front, I am here today to talk to you about the 
six new releases from Desperate Visions Productions. We have the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, titled Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions. It has four short films, totaling 117 minutes long, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process, Volume 1, interview by Cameron Cloutier of yours truly, Jason Rudy, talking about my filmography and stories behind the films. On Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions, Volume 1, we have the films Room 412 from 2007, The Last Road to Hell from 2008, Chump Change from 2010, and The Dirty ABC Rhyme from 2016. On the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 2, we have titled Demon Dames and Desperate Visions, we have the films Lady M from 2010, The Hunt for Super Fox from 2014, Simone La Femme de Mon from 2015, and Report 2057 from 2016. That runs approximately 116 minutes, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Interview Part 2, which is a continuation um, of the past films and all that good stuff also we have a late night nudie cutie cinema double feature featuring two films two nudie cutie films from yours truly uh titled the desires of dawn and jason rudy's mondo visions the desires of dawn is from 2014 and runs 66 minutes unrated and Mondo Visions is from 2016 and runs 65 minutes, and that is unrated. Total running time on that is 131 minutes. It's 1080p, high-definition widescreen, and all discs are AV- AVC encoded and PCM stereo. And these two films each have audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy. I give uh, brand new audio commentaries recorded specifically for these Blu-rays. The Desires of Dawn was previously on VHS, uh, excuse me, on DVD. Monovisions had a short theatrical run, but this is the first time anywhere it's on home disc in the United States or worldwide. So yeah, brand new film, so check it out. And we also have, of course, Lady Hyde from 2022. It's unrated, runs 78 minutes, is 1920 by 1080p, full HD resolution, AVC encoded, PCM stereo, and that has the special features of audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy, theatrical trailer, and a lady hide behind the scenes photo gallery. And uh, yeah, it's a good release. All these are region-free, by the way, so if you're listening to this anywhere in the world, they are available to play on your Blu-ray player. There's no region A, B, or C. They're all encoded to be region-free. And finally, the last two discs we have are Emmanuel in Sin City, the uncensored version. A lot of uh, Tubi and Amazon Prime would not take it because of the sexual content, so this is totally uncensored, totally uncut, and was deemed too erotic and extreme for major streaming channels. But you will see it here on Blu-ray. And that has, of course, special featured audio commentary with myself, Jason Rudy, trailer reel, and uh, exclusive behind-the-scenes photos, and more. 
So that's from 2023, which is the newest film. And finally, uh, the sixth release, which we just put together, is Mondo Sacramento from 2011, I believe. No, sorry, 2012. And that's 63 minutes, unrated. Special features, audio commentary, recorded specifically for... Actually, no, it's the... um, the audio commentary that we used for the DVD release of it years ago with uh, actress Boots Trader, who's in the Batgirl segment, and actress Sondal G, who is in the Ricky the Vampire of Sacramento segment. So we have, uh, and then of course with myself as well, so we have writer, director, and uh, actor commentary on that. And then we have uh, a never-before-seen behind-the-scenes footage um, that I found for the Batgirl stripper sequence that uh, was pretty cool. Nobody's ever seen that before, so that's a special feature on that. And a behind-the-scenes pictures of the filming and of the premiere of Mondo Sacramento back in 2012. And, uh, yeah, so that's available. All six releases, which is 13 films total are now released on Blu-ray, and they are sold by myself, the director and producer of the films. If you are interested in picking up any of the Blu-rays, they sell for $20 each, plus shipping and handling if you're ordering them online or anywhere outside of Sacramento. Uh, If you want to have information on that, you can always find me and inquire about purchasing the discs on the Franco Observer page on Instagram, the Franco Observer page on Facebook, or you could write me at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. That's DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com, which is the Desperate Visions Productions email address. Um, And if you want to purchase all six in one swoop, I will give you a discount, and uh, pretty much the discount you save will pay for the shipping and handling. So, yeah, please support fellow independent cinema. And this is a one-man operation, so I sincerely appreciate your support. So, yeah, once again, Emmanuel in the Sin City, Lady Hyde, Mondo Sacramento, the late-night nudie cutie cinema double feature, and the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1 and Volume 2, all available on Blu-ray, disc, region-free, with lots of special features. So pick them up today, DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you at the movies. Episode 146, film 162, the epic film Killer Barbies, B-A-R-B-Y-S, even though the van and the drum kit have B-A-R-B-I-E-S. And with me today are two first-time Jess Franco, not James Franco viewers, Red and Euphoria. How are you today? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you. Doing pretty well. All right, all right. So, what did you think? Um, 
there we go. Off this film, what was your first impression of the film before we get pretty hardcore into it? Like general overall, like uh, <clears throat> I mean, it was if you like bad horror movies, yeah, it was it was definitely a good movie. And you, for you? I was gonna say that's good for me because I I do really like the weird, obscure kind of hard to follow horror movies that don't quite make sense. And even yes, I really I prefer bad movies to good movies. I don't know if they're easier to pay attention to. They make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, and before we've talked before about really bizarre like you know um, Shark Exorcist <laughs> and those type of movies. So I was like, oh, you 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 would yeah. be perfect to talk to about a, a film like this. Um, their favorite movies are Shark Exorcist and Sharks of the Corn. Both are god awful in their own right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more like it's and funny. Fabulous and other. Yeah, because it's weird. Because sometimes you can like make a bad movie, quote unquote, on purpose, or you could just make a movie where you're trying to be good and it's bad. And it's like I like that type of bad is where you're trying to be legit and it's a bad film compared to. <laughs> Hey, let's make a bad movie, and then you're coming off as like a fake bad movie, which that is a lot of day, times nowadays. People seem to do that. They want to make these cheesy horror films or whatever. But I like ones like this where they're just so inept with like the version we watched with the English dubbing and the yeah. subtitles not mixing and the wrong words, and everything was just so bad. It was like it was funny when it wasn't supposed to be funny, you know? Oh, yeah. Like the points where they're like techno, techno, techno yeah. in the subtitles, and it was like nothing. You know, they were just kind of like mumbling in the background, or like occasionally being like rock and roll, or you know. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if we even got the correct takeaway. Yeah. From the movie because the 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 captions and the dub were so different. Big time. And they timed it differently, and there was one point where it even seemed like they said opposite things um there was a point well there was like little chicken or vixen and then it was bitch and other what? things that were just like what the? i don't remember what exactly he said um uh, it was something between the countess and her little servant guy okay um yeah uh it, the dub made it sound like he gave her something but the captions was like no we don't have any more blood you have to wait and then, <laughs> but in the dub she made these almost like relieved sighs and i'm like no she didn't get yeah anything. yeah that's so i know it's so it's so bizarre with this um okay yeah because we ended up watching the english language soundtrack and the uh redemption blu-ray dvd has the english language soundtrack french soundtrack and spanish soundtrack with optional English subtitles. I didn't choose the subtitles. They just popped up on there, which is weird because I have a region-free Blu-ray player, and I selected region A over and over and over again, but my Blu-ray player would not play this, so I had to play it through my PlayStation 4, which was like a very rare occurrence to watch a film on that. So I don't know if that just automatically pumps that through or what, but I didn't want to fuck with this, so I just let it go. But yeah, the, the English dubbing and the subtitles was another experience onto itself it added a whole other layer to the film i think that made it even more inept and even more uh bizarre and funny you know in a, in a strange way for sure now you've seen some of his other movies or some of their other movies have you had this problem in their some of their other movies or uh well the redemption this company i haven't as much uh i usually always stick with the Spanish subtitle or Spanish track or the Italian track and always with with English subtitles but uh 
with this, I just wanted to do the English because I figured it would be in English or because it seemed like it was more of a – not a mainstream film but something that was made for this market. So I didn't know it would be that obscure. But now I'll have to go back and watch the – well, I wouldn't understand. Well, actually, I would have said some of the French and the Spanish. But, yeah, I don't know how off it was or what, but some of it was just was fucking bizarre as fuck. I don't know. But, yeah, it, it seemed like it, at least they would try to jive some of the – correct words together even if it is english because if you're translating you would make the same words not like things that are way far off you know following the script right yeah i I remember specifically like they were flip-flopping i would they would the voices would say something uh, but the caption would be saying something completely different and then they would almost like switch places of where those two bits of conversation were happening so yeah yeah there was like times we talked about like later late in the film the the guy who's like wearing the orange uh killer barbie shirt talked about the woman he was with turned out to be a transvestite on the subtitles but then he didn't but then the english track didn't have any of that in there it's like what the fuck yeah why would you throw that in there i don't know it was bizarre and it's weird because it's at first, I thought maybe, like, the dub was supposed to be, like, the less edgy version because there was a point where they were, like, the, the caption said fucking, but the the dub said kissing. Right, right. But then, like, the dub took liberties to be raunchier in places and <laughs> yeah. the captions didn't, too, so I really don't know what the whole point of that was. Yeah. Right, like that point where the one guy was, like, talking up the, the duchess or the countess or whatever. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He talked about her like being a being a a, a Hollywood star or something at the time. And the guy's like, "Oh yeah, the thing between her legs, the treasure, and all right, that stuff." Yeah, yeah it was just really fucking bizarre. Um, and and I noticed that um, after this, you had wrote down the Killer Barbies because you're going to go listen to the song that you liked that they played about five or six times to oh the movie. God, yeah, they played it so much. <laughs> I was so tired of that song by the end. of it. Yeah, it's funny because like this this whole thing is based on this band, and they basically took a script for a movie that he had where these people stay at this castle, and there's like a vampire character, and then he basically incorporated this band that he had access to and put them into the script. But you would think that if the title is based on the band, that they would have more than like four songs of their right. own soundtrack to play. Right, like, wouldn't they want them to put a variety of music yeah, in yeah. the movie? Because you're showcasing the band. This is like ten tracks we have, or or some instrumental tracks, or something. They only but had yeah, two tracks at the time, or something. Yeah, yeah. And then the one song at the end, they only played once. The comic yeah, book yeah, song. Yeah, right. yeah. We didn't hear any other songs until the last third of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very inept. I mean, and it's sad because there was parts of it that I thought were very cool and it looked very cool and great locations we talked about and and some of the the fog machine was working way over time but yeah but the the castle itself was cool the burned out buildings were cool and there was some really nice visual stuff but other parts were just so hacky and yeah i like the scene um of him walking past the the down walls yeah 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 like really littered yeah, yeah. When he, when he, when he, he saw the two, the two little midget guys walking around, and and, he, and that was just a really cool fucking scene of walking through the burned out remains of the. Come and go through it. it was that was that was a really cool, cool setting. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, cool. They kept calling the uh, the people of three foot stature children and such. Yeah, They're very obviously not. Yeah, the little people, but then you could tell they were like in their 
20s or 30s, I would imagine. And he's like, oh, these are my children. But that the ear man looked about their age or maybe right. even younger. And, so, and, they were, to, and he's their specify, father. Like when he says the ear man, there's a point where there's a guy who like killed somebody in the very beginning of the movie. And like you know, takes a knife and, like, cuts his ear off, and he's like, oh, can I keep this ear, master? My children will love it, and, you know. Yeah. It's just fucking weird. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, it was weird because you have the main countess, who's, like, the Dracula character or whatever, the main, and you have her servant, which is, like, Renfeld, which is the guy with the fedora hat. Also, I was going to say, is he the the familiar or his... Or is the ear man guy? Yeah, I know. And then you have below him is the weird outback looking guy, the cannibal right. guy, and then his two servants. So it was just servant children. Yeah, you got you got the classy familiar, and then you got his like low end minions or something. Yeah, and then his minion has minions or something. I don't know. It's dumb. Maybe the ear man and his two children were like uh, a Dracula's brides, you know. Well, I felt suit guys role and everything was a little vague too because they were also talking about like a demon that had some sort of power on her yeah so you're right that way in the first place and it the the uh, satanic monk yeah like it might have hinted that it could or could not have been him but they didn't go into that so I'm, I good call maybe it would have yeah because he gives this whole like legend of the of the satanic monk that cursed and you see the shadow of him up in the window right, and, and this now yeah and that whole thing was just cast aside like it's like right, why would you right. set that up that was bizarre. So, so it starts off with basically um, the murder. We talked about cutting the throat of the old beggar with the with the two little people, and they were excited for the ears, which which we laughed about and talked about. Um, and then we see the band performance in the beginning, uh, and it's the Killer Barbies, B A R B I E S. But um, they had to change the name because of the Mattel copyright. But even though in the film you see Barbies spelt that way on the drum kit and on the van so they didn't worry about changing the title to what their thing was on the just a little bit yeah they just changed that little bit which is funny um the first nudity we see which is was surprising to me was the lead singer she takes her uh the guy who's driving lets her drive if she gets naked which is the weirdest thing i've ever heard hey you can drive if you take your clothes off like that's such a bizarre request to drive the car you know. I mean, I feel like that's kind of <laughs> reminiscent of like Padiddle, uh, which I know is not a thing on like the West Coast, apparently. Yeah, what does like, that explain to our viewers or to our listeners? Padiddle, well, Padiddle's a car game that, you know, when you see a car coming uh, that's like got one headlight out, you say Padiddle, and the last person to touch the ceiling uh, has to take off an article of clothing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I don't know, it just kind of struck me as kind of like a Padiddle-esque, you know, yeah. requirement or something, you know? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was weird. Like then she took her top off, and then she got to drive uh, while they played that same opening. You know, I killed the cop when I was twenty or whatever that fucking song uh, for like the third time, or whatever. And um, so we see that in the beginning, and then we see this woman uh, wearing the silver miniskirt riding the guy's penis in the back seat, and they were just like fucking the whole time, all excited. Be- and even when they parked too, they were doing that. They were talking about how they, how they like wanted to have sex all the time, and and you establish that they're like this horny rock band, you know. Right. How long were they trying to imply that they were going for? Was that like? Yeah, I know they talked hours? about how they were like rats, like they were sex sex rats, or that they just <laughs> you know. And I guess I don't know if. Which I love the the where the fundamental rules of a horror movie, little 
following. Good uh, call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, very, very, very good catch. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, because they were like the and the guy who doesn't get laid survives at the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. good. Female. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I didn't. I didn't well, even think about that. Her, I guess, huh? She was gonna, but then the countess stole her man. Yeah, and not to jump to the end, but those oh, two but were 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 friends. And they're the ones that survive because they didn't have sex with each right. other and they right. were the virginal people or whatever in the film, you know? Remember, Interesting. Remember, when you respect each other, you survive. <laughs> yeah. Friends to the end, literally. Yeah. Um, Friendship was the magic along the way the entire time. That was the treasure. And, and speaking of copyrights, too, um, the, the Barbies, of course, and she's wearing a Spider-Man shirt like through like most of the movie until she takes it off there or later on. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. She keeps it on and but she took her pants off later but right yeah and there's like why 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 did she take her pants off to go explore this place that's like covered in blood and then we're just like oh, well i think that was when she was laying down sleeping they were trying to sleep so she might have took her pants off that's probably the thing because then she tries to climb into bed with that guy and they smoke a joint and all that other stuff but but uh yeah no it was bizarre um and i had written i'd written a few notes and some of mine was bizarre subtitles with english track which we talked about that earlier but yeah it was everything was so way off uh we talked about the techno part uh vixen he was saying instead of slut or whore uh i guess that's whatever but but just some some of the stuff was just very bizarre there was times when there was subtitles and nobody was saying anything like for the whole thing. You're just like, well, why would you put up the stuff or, and it, a lot of it was just really yeah, it bizarre. Was, it was something like the one guy was chasing a girl and he was like, you're going to make so much money. And you're just like, what? Oh, yeah. Right. You're yeah. well paid woman. Well-paid. Yeah. 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 Well-paid there you go. I forgot about woman. that. I think you're a well paid woman. He says that quite a few times. Yeah. I was, for, I don't know if either he was singing something or he was just calling them hot. I don't know. Or maybe a whore because she's paid. Maybe that was his thing, like, oh, you're a whore because, you know, she has sex for money. So maybe he's a, you're a well-paid woman. Like, you're a whore. It's like he was doing a literal translation of the term. (laughs) This is the definition of whore. (laughs) That was bizarre. Um, uh, Oh, yeah. So one scene that was funny was when the couple's having sex in the van uh, the two little people and the ear man, I'll call him, decide to redecorate the van when they're having sex, which yeah, was bizarre. They, they steal all the Barbies out of the van, which, like, all the Barbies are wearing, like, you know, strap leather type stuff, and they cut them all out of, like, you know, the the places that they're hanging in the van while these people are having sex, not paying attention to these people at all. Right. And then they hang, like, a dead bird off of their rearview mirror. With, like, a little skull in the head, if you look at it yeah. close. Yeah, it's like a, a almost like a death head bird. And then again, did nothing with it. Yeah. They didn't do anything with the dolls. The dolls were just back in their possession at the end of the movie in the death head. I thought, okay, so that's like an omen. That's like, hey, master, right. come find. No. Yeah, and, and <laughs> until they get done having sex, and they go, oh, it's 12 o'clock, and I guess their clock on their their, their wristwatch stopped and hit the 12, because that was the motif of the whole film was, yeah. I guess, time stood still in that area. It was always midnight or whatever. Um, really the best way to sum up those three characters like the the midgets and the uh the ear man they were just funny little guys that's all that, that was their entire role in the movie just to be yeah. funny little guys they were comedy relief but very creepy like the guy looked like he could be in deliverance or some cannibal movie you know his funky beard oh and then another thing too when the people were having sex and the two little people were like opening the back of the thing he was like a, a jerking off in front of the van while they were having sex yeah, yeah that was the worst. 
Yeah, which is stupid because they don't show a, a money shot or or any like a splooge on the thing. They just like showing so him doing it. To see a money shot? Well, no, but you think they would have to be some kind of a payoff. Like, why are they implying it and not doing any payoff for it? You know, it was just kind of weird. I don't, I don't know. But it was, it was just bizarre. I mean, the whole thing was just bizarre. I want my ear man to come. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> God, I never want to say that reason. Yeah. Now I'm going to edit that out and play it for you, and I'm going to no. put that as a little soundbite for you. Right. <laughs> oh, God. We'll leave it in the final product. We'll just Bizarre. I want my ear man to come. And Red says. <laughs> Bizarre. I want my ear man to come. The worst soundboard of all time. Exactly. Bizarre. I want my ear man to come. I'd love to have that on my phone. Oh, God, no. <laughs> anytime, like, just record the embarrassing things you say and just yeah, put it as your as your a ringer for his every for his for his, yeah. Every time his never comes up, come I want my ear man to come. I want my ear man to come. Hey, it's red. Um, <laughs> um, so let's see. I have uh, the fog machine was working overtime. There's a couple scenes where you can see like this the steam coming in the corner of the scene just going we have through. Three fog machines. We're going to use them a yeah. lot. Yeah, just and and. It's cool to establish, you know, theme and, and kind of give it a nice look. Well, here's fog, and it adds layers to it, but it was just steady and everything. And some right, looked natural, and some was still. just so forced, you know. Well, like, I, do they live in a volcano? <laughs> I guess they had a lot of open spaces because it looks a lot nicer if you can just keep the fog yeah. in the space. Yeah, have just it just drift. Pumping it. Yeah, you can just see it as a fucking <laughs> just feeding through you the shot. You see where it, like, kicks off and <laughs> starts up again. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like talk about the locations were cool. The castle was really nice. They had a lot of cool like decorations inside. They had this little like mole head or I don't know what kind of a yeah, the taxidermy stuff was really cool. I I like that little like priest with the little. I guess it was a mole. Is was that badger? Yeah, yeah. Something I don't know. Animal much, but. Yeah, I would say it was more mole-like. I mean, it definitely had like the beady little eyes and like the pointed snoot and like the diggy claws. And I'm thinking that that might have been the satanic priest oh, the that they were talking had about. Horrible fucked up teeth. Because they had the sheet over him. And he says, "Don't show that." And he was like standing like a man with the little thing. So that was probably the satanic priest. Now that we're like putting putting the pieces together of the, oh, yeah, of the yeah. thing, and that because it was up on the up on the mantle. And they had a lot of cool things. They had a weird. They had that weird mannequin doll head, which which pretty, looks pretty scary with the eyes that we mentioned, with the blade sticking out of its hand. It just looks sad and depressed, and it just looked eerie. Yeah. And like overly realistic eyes. And yeah. then they had uh, these cool little like eyes melded shut kind of like things that were there in the house. Um, they had they kept showing the clock at twelve all the time. The the statue, which was cool with the little timepiece hanging, you seen the twelve of that. The twelve in the house, the twelve on the on the grandfather clock, uh, all the way through, and then of course her picture, which looks so funny, the painting of her with the uh, stockings and garter that everybody was like worshiping. Yeah, it definitely looked like a burlesque painting. Of yeah, like yeah, exactly. Yeah. It did look like it fit, like it was made. I mean, of course it was made for this film, but it just looked so more modern compared to right. what it was supposed to right. be. Right. Yeah. Like it looked like it should have come out of like the nineteen uh, or like. I would say like 1890s or something. Yeah, like yeah. Or something. Big, yeah, good call. Yeah, I would say that definitely. Kind of more like a um, like a ballroom or like some kind of a, a saloon thing, you know. Right. But uh, yeah, and I had wrote uh, the ineptness of this film was was so crazy. Just it was so funny because 
like we talk about a bad film that's a true bad film and something that's trying to be a bad film and this was just a bad film that was just you know really bad what other films do i compare it to i know manos hands of fate was one of them and then what was it i know i said another one you said you felt like you were watching the room at one point oh yeah because like the sex scenes were just really terrible and she was like when the yeah and excessive and then like when the countess was like you know like having sex with the one lead band singer or whatever there's yeah. like a moment where she was just like oh laying God. over his legs like continuously yeah, moaning they weren't doing anything yeah that sex scene was way too long yeah. uh it was funny because they were they were going for different stuff it was almost like because this was 96 so it's like they were trying to do the whole like i don't know basic instinct or some erotic thriller where they're like tying the guy to the to the headboard and it's all like candle lit and it's supposed to be this like really erotic scene but it just like she was like riding him and then just like that's all she did and it just went on and on. you just kept seeing him like moaning right. and stuff and it was just he's got like these gift basket ribbons on his wrist, <laughs> like can't break good call right that's he funny. sees like a knife and he's like no 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 no, yeah. no just no don't and then, and then you just get yeah he doesn't twist or turn or like like he could have tried to tug on the ribbons you know yeah no it was crazy and then like Like he could have flexed and broken those ribbons but he didn't even try yeah like you're saying like a a gift basket ribbons or it was like her bonnet ribbons they would have just broken from you know (laughs) yeah more of a struggle or whatever but she was just you know and uh but but before that i was laughing because when she finally drinks enough blood and she turns into like a 50 something year old looking woman uh, she's supposed to be so youthful. Um, she comes downstairs and they have this dinner and then the, the guy's so mesmerized. He's, he like starts grabbing her boobs at the table, which I thought was pretty funny. Oh yeah. She pretty much like puts his hand in her. Like, yeah, she pulls her like tit out for him to like grab and like right in front of everybody. And she's like, Oh, and he's just like staring at her. Like he'd never seen a woman before, you know? Yeah. And then like, she like looks right at the main, uh, female band singer and she's like, you jealous or something. Yeah. Yeah. That was a scene where the lines really got flipped around. The, yeah, the same. They're saying the same things, just at completely different times, and it really messes with the timing. I mean, yeah, it, it does. Changes. It can change what things mean because it was hard to tell if she even cared or not for like yeah a good portion of that. And and what was weird too, so like when when him and her have sex, and you, and uh, the the angle was weird because I kept mentioning how you can't see him in the mirror shot because like the pillows were in front of him and the angle it looked like she was just there by herself. And then we weren't sure if, cause I know it's supposed to be Elizabeth Bathory where she bathed in the blood and she got her youth from that, but she's also supposed to be kind of like a vampire of sorts, but you could see her reflection in the mirror, but you couldn't see him because right. of the angle of the camera. And it was just like, what the fuck's going on? I kept saying that. I mean, like, what's, what the, the most, dis- most distant sex scene I've ever seen. Yeah. So again, he's like, She's almost on that other bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she's like laying all the way. Their ankles are rubbing against you. They're like, that is like cricket court shit or something? It's... I don't know. Plus the, the physics of it is bullshit because she's supposed to be riding it, but she's like laying all the way back on the bed and like far away from him, right. but still like inside of her. It's like, well, what? I mean, at that point, they were, she was laying crossways across his yeah. legs or something. Yeah. So it wasn't even, <laughs> yeah, no. 
It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah I didn't understand what was going on. She didn't even stab him at that point, did she? Or what? Uh, no, no, that was before she stabbed him. No, yeah, she was just scratching. getting it. Yeah, scratching a little bit. Yeah, that first scratch. Because like, you tell they're trying to make it erotic, the tying up and the scratching. And, right, right. And I was like, oh, watch. She's going to pour candle wax on him. And I figured they'd go through a few steps, but it was just like nope. her just sitting there on him and not really writing and then laying weird and Dull. laying across him. Yeah, it was very fucking stupid, you know? But uh, but I will give the the band member credit for being in a band. He like showed his penis on film after he was dead. Oh yeah, it was and just he, all out. Yeah, and he had a big piece. So I mean, more more power to him, you know. Bazinga. Yeah, but he was still breathing when he was dead, which we laughed about because you could see him like kind of breathing. <laughs> I was impressed that he was not hard. Yeah. To be yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking yeah. the same thing. She's like all like rubbing up against his and, junk like, and rubbing stuff. Herself and That's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it wasn't moving or anything. It was, it was just flaccid, was, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he was not. He didn't care. <laughs> he was just the whole time like think about baseball, think about showers. <laughs> exactly. Cold showers. Think about that goddamn song that we heard fucking yeah, four yeah, times over and over again. That's gonna keep me soft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, Although I, I will say things I liked about it, like we talked about, we, I liked the locations, I liked the the area, the thing. I did like the lead singer. I thought she was, even though she's not a actress, I thought she was good. She looked good on film. Yeah. She had a presence about her. She was a strong character. Yeah. Uh, out of all the people, she looked like she was an actress, even though she was a musician. The rest of the people were almost like non actors, and I don't right. know if they were or not, but she she definitely yeah. had her presence. That- probably didn't help the film as a whole is it's supposed to be a, a horrifying situation and everybody's facial expressions are pretty flat yeah and then, and then in the dub they're again we're having that oh no yeah she's dead help me oh and also uh, i'm dying yeah brenda and, and the little people were like yeah we gotta get there oh yeah oh they were so cartoony yeah. all the wrong characters actually like cared about their, their, their lines. <laughs> right. Like, the, the, the guy in the suit could have been more flat, but he actually had some of the most life yeah. in his delivery. That's oh, true. Yeah, and he had, the, like, he had the heavy dialogue, actually, too. Like, I, I don't know. Just like I feel like he was supposed to be... He was an actor. I don't know. Which I th- I think he is. I think the the uh, fedora guy was. I think I think he's a professional actor. I, I have to look up and see what he's done, but I'm sure he was because he is the storyteller of the film. He had to get all the plot point yeah. across, the legend, right. yeah. who they were, and and the whole thing. Um, although I noticed you liked uh, the voice on the intercom that he was calling for the tow truck. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Larissa, the donkeys. Okay, if it's not a phone. Okay, yeah. Someone talk back into it. Yeah, that was bizarre. Yeah, just I mean, some of this. Who was on the other end? Yeah, that was that was weird. So so but, so much of know, stuff was this just. This isn't a phone. It's an intercom. But as soon as we pick up, hello. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a movie that you can't care about from the beginning, and then they completely make you care about. Yeah. Less at the end because they're like, actually, none of that dude happened. Fuck it. <laughs> And then there's a big cannibal scene where after they kill all these people, you see their bodies hanging. And we had remarked that they used the real guy in the foreground and they used the dummies hanging up. And some looked good from an angle, but then when they would change the angle, you could see how flat the actual fake corpses were. Yeah. Or like he picked them up and you could see how they were flopping. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one's knee went completely like to the left possible and granted they're dead so you can kind of yeah. get away with it a little bit and almost gives it a little more of a brutal look but yeah, yeah you know <laughs> but no i mean there's like they had some good ideas uh i don't know if the execution was the greatest but they like the hanging up of the bodies was like 
going into a farmhouse where they kill a deer and they hang it hang upside down and drain the blood and they collect the blood and stuff. So, like, the thought of it was good. It wasn't just laying on the ground or something. Yeah, but they were collecting the blood to boil it and then give it to the countess. And I'm yeah. Like, Why does it need to be boiled? And they never explained that. Well, you had your theory, though, about they had to boil it to get rid of the uh, um, syphilis and the... Oh, and the, yeah. The, 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 That's right. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, no, it was it was, and, and also too the the decoration of that room was like one of the uh, Halloween spook shows that you walk through and you see like this room is the cannibal room and it's all like blood sprayed and right. like perfect yeah. diagonal patterns and everything. The their the directors or set designers yeah. eye for like visuals and symbolism is really good. Yeah, and it's like. This isn't an offensive thing to say. Like, I feel like they would make really, really good music videos. Yeah, no, and that's some of this looked. Like, I mean, this was like I said ninety six. Bring up Alan Resnick at any chance I get. He's obviously a little younger, I think, but he did like a lot of stuff on Adult Swim. Okay. Um, and he does weird, un, not quite. I don't understand what this means, but it's weird, and I like it. Kind gotcha. Of, kind of short films. Okay. Unhinged, yeah, yeah. Um, but he also does a lot of music videos for like alternative bands and stuff, and it's it works so good in that short form where you don't have yeah. to tell a story necessarily. You're using you just the visual just aspect of the it. Creepy visual. You can just do the weird thing. Yeah, no, and that definitely had some of that '80s video aspect in this film, right. even though it was made '96. They were together, the band and the and the filming. Because like there was a scene that reminded me of Tom Petty video, uh, "Don't Come Around Here No More," the Alice in Wonderland thing he did, and that looked like that scene where she walked into that room and you see the checkered floor and there's like some right. chess pieces that were spilled over that were tall and, and the white sheets hung over. Yeah, so some of that was like, what the fuck? Like it just came out of nowhere. It was like looked really cool. Very cool looking. But yeah, it just didn't fit. It just didn't fit. It's like, well, here, this looks cool. Let's just throw this in, and it's like, okay, let's why you're throwing it in just to show it is fine but it takes away from, I mean you're trying to add cool things it's like having a cake and you have these cool decorations you want to put on the cake but after a while it's just all these decorations and the cake's like shitty cake you know right. you have all these cool things on top of the cake it also fits into my I have a, this running mental list of like types of movies and one is movies made or written based off of a prop or um costume piece okay so like a, a writer has like this really neat prop and so they're like hmm oh the, like the prop inspired the writer. yeah yeah right thing. right um and i i don't know looking at like how many interesting things they had it felt like they just wanted to get that's a good call screen you know what i mean yeah like oh i have this we can use this okay we'll like, have this too yeah yeah what did we mention it was sharks of the corn you mentioned it earlier oh they have um a preserved shark in like a jar. Okay. Like a baby shark that's, you know, it's a wet specimen. There we go. Right. Um, and watching that movie, I highly suspect that that movie was written because they really liked that thing and they were looking at it one day and they go, hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, and I know. I can tell that. Based off of our shark. Right. Yeah, and that's like this. Like like in the castle and stuff, they had a lot of cool stuff, which we'd mentioned. Oh, this is right. cool and that's cool. Yeah. The different taxidermy yeah. pieces. And you could tell they probably didn't make that for this film. It's just they mm -hmm. collected them from other people or, or the location had it or something. You know, I'm not sure. But, but yeah, it was like those things they were trying to like, which helped a lot, definitely. But yeah, the other stuff was just so 
inept and so crazy and just stupid that it's just those things helped but in a better movie and used properly it, it would be a lot better you know be more frightening and everything um but speaking of frightening one thing i thought was pretty funny uh was the ending where um the uh guy who was supposedly had his throat cut that was faking that he was dead suddenly got up and told her that he wasn't dead he was just pretending and that he basically took a gas can and walked behind the uh two little people in the van while they were playing the techno beating on the drum with the ear man and he would pour the gasoline on all the hay and everything and then trap the ear man in the van and sacrifice himself but his his physicality in that scene for having your throat cut and bleeding for a long time was pretty good he, yeah he was like full on almost standing up and everything and he was getting around better than he should <laughs> yeah. be for someone who had their fucking throat slit yeah he faking being dead not faking the having his throat slit like that really happened you don't get to decide yeah and we see him getting his throat cut by the guy too yeah big time so it's like we don't it's not like it's something that oh we he did it but he really didn't do it we saw him get his fucking throat cut and then it's just like but then he's like fine you know and he's like laying in that wheelbarrow all looking dead and everything bleeding and everything you know so yeah that that was was pretty funny but so what's funny is the thing that was really shocking was uh, the other guy uh, who was the friend who was the virginal guy he ends up killing the uh, ear man, as you mentioned, via a Roger Rabbit style. Oh, yeah. Rolling him over by the steamroller. Like, you know, just, <laughs> oh, yeah. nowhere to go. Oh. Yeah, the guy's standing there like, no, no, no. Instead of, like, sidestepping two steps to get out of the way, he was, like, right. letting the steamroller run him over. Oh, no, it's coming right at me. <laughs> Very slowly. Solid deaths, and I mean that. <laughs> yeah, I oh, yeah. It was kind of a flat ending, but no, oh my God. <laughs> no. I mean, because <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and and that 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 see, like we talked about cool things, like that looks good. They had the the dummy rolled over, and they probably stuffed it full of goo or right. fake intestines or whatever, and it squirted all out and stuff. So I mean, vis- visually it looked good, but it's just the the, the style of what happened is just so. Cartoonish, exactly. This like confusing buildup of like, why are they doing this? There's a lot of buildup for like the most anticlimactic ending I think I've seen out of a movie in a yeah. long time. That there, there was no stakes. No, yeah, literally. <laughs> I mean, other than you know, other than the one, die. other than the one that they impaled the countess on at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by yeah, throwing her out a window. Yeah, so. So, but before we get to that, so the uh, the one guy, the virginal guy, ends up killing the uh, second in charge with a crossbow, shooting the guy in the mouth, which we laughed at because it looked so bad. The arrow going into his mouth, and you see it come out the back of his head, and then he falls. <laughs> and he talked about how he never fired a weapon, and then then when he kills the ear man, he talks about how he picked up some things in the army, learning how to drive, and he didn't know how to drive, but he knew how to drive a steamroller. I told you he was forklift certified. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> don't question the certification. And then him and the woman end up throwing the countess. They pull her out of bed because she's like, oh, I want the young blood of young people to give me such fire and power. And they end up just grabbing her. And she's naked. Chuck they chuck her out the window, but she's wearing a like lace outfit. And you see that on the dummy that's thrown out the window. And then when she lands on the stake, perfectly shot out the window, fucking belly first into the stake sticking up, 
she's naked again. Well, so. every time it cuts to the the live like actress, she's naked. But every time it cuts to the dummy, it's dressed. Yeah. So yeah. it's just like, like I love how this ancient immortal vampire has like she's been bathing in blood and has no power. Yeah. This vampire has no extra abilities. Two people can just like unceremoniously pick her up and throw her out a window and she that she doesn't survive it. She's no. a vampire that doesn't survive being thrown out of a maybe three story window. Yeah, and Man, I should have tried this ages ago. <laughs> and she could have went to the plastic surgeon and, and had the same powers basically as if she just had a facelift. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. It's literally just immortality. That sounds like the worst deal ever. And so the uh, woman and the man escape in a boat in the end. They say, oh, we're going to Hollywood. And then we have this, yeah, it's a very long trek from Spain or Transylvania, where they're supposed to be from to Hollywood. I them saying that they're going to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are we going? We're taking this to Hollywood. And they take the little boat out while they're paddling. And then it cuts to her voiceover letting everybody know, hey, by the way, the band's still alive. This is not real. This is just fake. And you can see us play at wherever it was, Barcelona or somewhere. And then they do the comic book song where they don't worry about copyrights at all. They talk about <laughs> X-Men and Avengers. The guy's wearing a Spider-Man mask, right. Iron Man, and, and it was just, like, so funny, you know. All their rights. Uh, that's why they only had one song in uh, by them because, like, the, other, like, the second song they had, they had to that's pay fair. all the copyright you know, <laughs> protection. Yeah, I know the copyright infringement. Yeah, song lists all of the Disney properties. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is before Disney bought Marvel, too. So now, God, they'd be <laughs> oh, doubly <okay>. screwed. <laughs> so that's funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, so this is uh, this was Jess Franco's 162nd film that he had made. Um, some were released, some were unreleased. But I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen now 146 of his films. So... Uh, Parts of it I, I did like, you know, which we mentioned. Other parts were just so inept. It was just like, almost like a kid just out of high school could have made this movie right. or something. It was just so bad in certain spots and just was so terrible, you know. Yeah. It's a drinking movie. It is a drinking movie. I, I definitely was, like, at certain points waiting for some long-haired black guy to come out of nowhere and be like, I did not hit her. I did not. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, but I did enjoy it. It's funny. I mean, like we talked about, it's so bad, it's good in a way. It's where it is, it is enjoyable because you're laughing and having a good time. I would say it's enjoyable once. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I probably would watch it again. But like you say, this is a movie that you would put on at a party, have it playing in the background. You don't have to sit there and pay attention or take notes like I did. It's more of just let it play in the background and look at it and laugh at a few we things. Like, I, I, I shouldn't say we. I like to find bad movies and play drinking games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They force me to watch bad movies while we play drinking games. <laughs> I drink because it's a bad movie, and I just, ah, uh, this is bad. Let's take a drink. I went on a quest to find the worst movie. Oh, yeah. God. They found it. Well, yeah, I think I might have gave you a good run for your money with this. Um, no, I think I think the Gingerweed Man beats this one out as, like, a worse movie. Oh, yeah, I know you're talking about that one. Oh, yeah, my God, yeah. that was just oh, bad, God. bad, Yeah, bad. no, see, and that's the thing. There, there's certain, like, people always talk about Plan 9 from Outer Space being a bad movie. That's that's a fucking good movie. I mean, there's parts where they're silly. You see the, the, the like, props move and certain things. Weird and just, yeah, and it's, it's, it's more just story. like a... And that to me is more of a, a snobby is good. way. Acting is good. Like, yeah. 
And there's things that are just made bad just because they're boring. I mean, there's a lot of Hollywood movies that are just worse than this because they're boring and you don't, you're just, you know. It's like the producers. You have to have just the right amount of bad and good. Yeah. Like, in balance. Because if it's, like, I don't know. Like, if you pick too many bad things, it just fails. If you pick too many good things, like, you know, it's just an average movie. Right. That's yeah. kind of what I was saying, like, why I I like bad movies. Like, I'll, I have a better time, an easier time watching bad movies than I do, like, objectively good, quote-unquote movies. Right, right. Because, like, I've seen it. Oh, my God, I've seen it. I yeah. know that you're going to find a girl, and there's going to be some weird misunderstanding, and you guys are going to have this weird, like, split up for a second, and then some, somehow the, the misunderstanding is going to... Like, no, but I can understand, but right. he never explains. Right. You know? Or, like, superhero... Every super, I'm so tired of superhero movies. They're gonna win. Yeah, right. I know they're and you gonna know win the, in the end. You know what the well, thing is. And, War, but yeah. but and, and, I mean, that's the next next one, yeah. But, and like with this. Never, there's no consequences, never last. That's yeah, true. No, they were very like cookie cutter. And this, yeah, like, and this, this formula is the old Dark House movie where, you know, there's a people, they're in a, a train or a wagon train or a coach and they break down and they're in the middle of nowhere and they go to an old house and you go to the house and the person opening it is either a, a mad scientist, a vampire, a evil person and then they, everybody starts getting picked off one by one. I mean, it's a it's an old cliche or staple, but they did enough different things in it, I think, to make it funny and bizarre and so bizarre would be a good word for this film i think it's that very, is a very good bizarre word for, yeah. yeah yeah but uh oh and also to shout out to the girl that was running naked uh in the fog with the silver go-go boots she was oh, actually yeah. pretty cool and that and that scene, scene was really good i was can't want to mention that name in this movie yeah That's, we're not just like being reductive of characters, we genuinely didn't get enough like character development <laughs> to remember who they were. Yeah, let me see. I might just get, get shout out on the names here. So, um, so we got. Uh, let's see. So the lead is Santiago Segura uh, playing Ballstar. Um, Mariangela Giordino played the Countess. Um, Aldo Sambarell played Archon. Archon was. Uh, I think that's the ear guy. No, that. No, Archon was the. Was the fedora guy. He was the fancy man, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Charles S. Chaplin, which I mentioned is. Uh, not Geraldine, but. The Chaplin Lee. Or, um, oh, oh, he shit. was the orange guy. Yeah, yeah, orange yeah. That's guy. Charlie Chaplin's great grandchild. Huh? Um, that's why he got to live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sylvia Superstar was the lead singer. She okay. played um, Flavia. And actually, Flavia is funny, the character Flavia. So one of the guys that is in a bunch of Jess Franco movies is um, Antonio Mayans. And his daughter's name is, is uh, uh, Flavia. And uh, a little Flavia is in a few Jess Franco films. So I found it funny <laughs> okay. that they named her Flavia. Uh, Carlos Subterfuge was the drummer. He played Rafa. Um, Los Angeles Berra played Sharon. That was, I think, the silver-booted lady. Uh, Billy King played Billy. Uh, Pepe Lopez played Pipa. And Alberto Martinez played Pipo. So I think Pipo and yeah, Pepe might have been the, the little guys. Yeah. Out of all of those names that you mentioned, I remember 
uh, two of those. I remember Archon, and I remember, what was it, uh, Fluxia or whatever? Flavia. 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 And I remembered Countess, because the Countess was, you know, yeah, well, was, yeah. very basic. Yeah. And then uh, we also have the actors Enrique Lopez, Lavigne, and Javier Bonella, but they don't say who they played. But um, let me just read this quick synopsis. Uh, driving driving between rock venues in Spain one night, a touring punk band called the Killer Barbies, Flavia plus two couples, Rafa and, Mar- and Mario and Billy and Sharon, are stranded in a remote countryside after their van gets stuck in a pothole. A courtly old man called Archon, secretary of the Countess Von Fledermouse, I didn't know that, invites the group to spend the night at the Countess's castle. Flavia, Rafa, and Mario accept the invitation, but Billy and Sharon stay behind, opting to spend the night screwing in the van. On meeting the Countess, the band members are startled to realize that she is also the artist known as Olga Luchan. There we go. Luchan is supposed to have been born over a hundred years ago. The band wonders how she could have remained looking so young. Eventually, they discovered that the Countess is a vampire. There we go. Uh, who feeds on the blood of young people to rejuvenate herself. Meanwhile, Arkin's brutal and simple-minded servant, Balstar, that's the ear man, hunts down and kills Billy and Sharon. So, yeah, that's what they have as that. So I feel like they got the names wrong there. Balstar yeah. should have been the fancy dude. Yeah, exactly. He was... Yeah, Archon's more of a simple name, like, I'm Archon, you know, yeah, yeah, and I'm Balsar, good, good call on that. But, um, yeah, so that's very crazy on that. Okay, I'm going to run through here the Franco Observer checklist. This is a checklist that has reoccurring over all the films. We see certain things he uses over and over again, sometimes all the time, and as time goes on, they start being thinned out. You don't see these reoccurring motifs, symbols, things over and over again but in here there's a decent amount so uh number one body of water yes we have the body of water that surrounds the area when they get in the boats at the end and of course when they're driving the van over you see the body of water i think the fog also counts as i know there you go good call uh number two sailboats there's no sailboats but there is boats in this there's the canoes yeah the canoes the uh balcar whatever his name is alcara when he, I call him the uh, fairy man. When he has the cool right. boat with the with the like a candle in it, and he's like rowing through, you know. Gondola. Which, gondola. There you go. Uh, number three, boats. Yeah, we said plenty of boats. Uh, four palm trees. Yeah, there's palm trees in the very beginning and the very end. You see the castle after they're killed. You see some palm trees around the castle. Hmm. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. No, not jungles, but there are like wolf howls in this a few times. They like overemphasized it. Uh, no, that's basically about it on this one. Uh, number six, chained up person. No. Well, the the people chained upside down in the blood. Drain. Yeah, they were hung, dead bodies hung upside and down. I was still restrained. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's true. Okay, yeah, I was thinking more traditional because these are usually women chained up in the dungeons and stuff. But in this one, yeah, I mean, they are they are tied up. Yeah, I'd say uh, that's maybe half half point on that one. Uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. No, there's nobody. St- he usually has a scene where a woman's taking off her clothes on stage. Well, they do have like the rock and roll scene at the very beginning and end. But that goes to the next one, number eight, club scenes, dancing in a bar. Yeah, okay, that yeah. fits that okay. definitely. There's right in the beginning they establish that, and right at the very end we see everybody partying and having fun and, and dancing yeah. and playing music and stuff. Um, and number nine, jazz music. No, there's no jazz music, but there's a killer Barbies soundtrack. It's the same song. Yeah, the times. same four fucking songs, especially the first song over and over again, like six times. 
Uh, number 10, excessive zooms. Not really a lot of zooming in and out of this, but number 11, out of focus shots. Yes, quite oh, a few yeah, out of focus that, shots. I like the shots were a little wide and that kind of made it feel empty. Yeah, no, he, his, he, his camera was very, he used a lot of static shots where he just kept the shot without moving in and out. He just really kind of, the camera work wasn't that good on this. Um, I liked the camera work inside the place where we talked about the kind of the Vaseline on the lens effect. There was some kind yeah. of atmospheric shots with that, but a lot of it was just like he just set up the camera and let everybody do their things and he didn't really do anything with it, which was kind of a drag on certain parts. Um, number uh, 12, uh, mirror shots. Yeah, there's some cool mirror shots in this. Uh, he had a couple where they're, especially with her in the bed, you could see the mirror and the mirror and the mirror couples in in the shot where you could see the mirror on her and the reflection of the mirror back into the mirror to kind of create that layered effect. Um, that was with her basically. And then one other one used, but not a lot, but there's a couple cool ones. Uh, 13, um, mind control theme. Yeah. Uh, the count I had, uh, wait, no, I'm sorry. 13 mind control. No, actually there's no mind control theme in this. Um, nobody's I see where you were going with that though. Cause he seemed a little more than just seduced by her. Yeah. Yeah. It was like more, he was performing the ritual or he had to go through this set right. series of things. Um, number 14 magic tongue scenes well usually that goes with Lena but yeah I put yes on this because the countess like licks the guy you see her stick her tongue out and lick that guy when he's tied up on the on the bed she had a really long tongue yeah it was very bizarre almost Gene Simmons looking kind of tongue Gene Simmons um Number fifteen, red light. No, there's no red light scenes where a red light shining on things. But there was some amber lighting. That's true. There's kind of like the orange, kind of yeah, the yeah, candlelight the more. Yeah, like it kind of had like the antique kind of feel. Yeah, which which some of that. And one thing I will say, some of the coloring in this was really cool. I liked uh, the coloring on the lead singers. Certain scenes with her was cool, and then the lady in the bed. Yeah. All that was kind of orangish brown. It had a nice kind of a like he actually took time to color correct a couple of the scenes, which was pretty nice. Um, number 16, uh, Sheepskin Rug. No, that's more of the Irwin C. Dietrich films. Um, uh, and also there was no masturbation with a letter C item. Uh, when he was doing films with this guy, this producer. Well, there was a masturbation scene, but not with like. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, to bet he didn't use a C item. I didn't think about that because there was, uh, a producer named Irwin C. Dietrich that he did about 14 films with. And during those 14 films, about 12 of the 14, somebody would ma- a woman would masturbate with a C item. It was a cigarette, a cucumber, a cane, a uh, 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 cigar. It was like all these Cs. And we noticed, we're like, oh, here's another C item. And it was bizarre. It just kept reoccurring oh, in every film. Okay. We're like, yeah, so we had to, like, what the fuck is this? It's like, this is some hidden thing that he's trying to, like, tell this inside joke and only a few people are catching it. So, huh. But, yeah, I caught it. And I haven't seen it posted anywhere else, but I'm, I was one of the ones that, like, honed in on that uh 17 mad scientist and servant i'd say yes i say she to that at least yeah because yeah, she was like the mad scientist and her servants like she yeah. had the the, the all those weird servants you know that were doing her commands and, and doing what yeah there's a lot of chain of there's like a lot of levels of superiority here well, it was the countess and then it was archon and then he had like the Balsar, ear man and then yeah. the ear man had his two uh kids children <laughs> 
that's the most bizarre thing, you know. Yes, they are my children. Yeah, and they were weird too, those kids, because they wanted to play with the dolls, but then they wanted to have sex with that woman's dead body. But they're yeah. supposed to be kids, and they wanted to like fuck that woman. They're like, no, the body's there, and we need to use it for the blood. And it's like, what? And it just, yeah. It was weird. I didn't know if they were kids or adults or what. That was bizarre. Uh, 18, fish tank shots. No, there's no shooting through any fish tanks in this. Uh, 19, talking parrot. No, no talking parrots in this film, unfortunately. It's, I always love talking animals, but no, no talking mm-hmm. animal in this. There's a lot of cool-looking taxidermy animals, but they didn't talk. Although the intercom talked, but... Uh, Hello. Yeah. Hello. Uh, number 20, end credits, yes or no. We have the big end credits at the end where they talk about the band and what happened and everything in the end, and they're all playing and mugging at the camera. Uh, number 21, handwritten signs, anything cheesy. Actually... The 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 van had killer Barbies like on tape that was taped on the side, which you know like that's not the real tour van. I'm sure it's just like they did that for the film, you know. So I'll say that was my handwritten note. I would count that. Uh, Twenty two spiral staircase shot. Yeah, inside the castle where they were going up the stairs, they had that down camera shot to see that going up through there. Uh, Twenty three inept cops. No, there's no authority in all in this film. There's no, you know cops that come to investigate to get killed or they don't do the jobs right or anything like that. They no. don't even get the tow truck to show up. No, yeah. exactly. They have a uh, tractor that they use to pull the van into the barn. Uh, 24 belly chains. I don't know. She had an interesting tattoo around her belly button. Yeah, she had the tattoo belly button we see here on the cover. Uh, and then she had the cool tattoos on her arm. But yeah, she didn't wear a belly chain at all. Um, I was thinking she probably would have anybody, but no, no, she didn't. Uh, 25 kinks. Well, let's see. Quite a few kinks. You have uh, necrophilia. You have uh, the bondage. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, S&M, I guess, stabbing of the guy, or cutting him under the breast, maybe. Uh, what else do we have? Um, what other kinks? Voyeurism, yeah. then watching through the car. You have... Um, Sex to really bad music? No. Blood play. <laughs> yeah, blood play. There you go. Um, and, yeah, that's, I think, the gist of it. Um, that's a, quite a bit. Um, number 26, great headboards. Well, he, he she has the raw iron thing yeah, on her bed he's, he's tied, tied to. to you know, it's that's, cool, but they didn't show it. Yeah, they didn't really to, get to its fullest effect. Right. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, okay, now, number 27. Would you say, what's the motif in this film? Fear or desire? Both? Yeah, I, I'd written both. Um, the fear of them in peril for their life, but then the, the desire of her to be young, I think, is the main thing, is her desire to... The constant the blood. scenes, yeah. Yeah, to have the blood to stay youth. Like, that was the main driving force, is the desire to be young and to be how she, how she was. Uh, seems to be desire. Yeah, yeah, I'd say desire is a big one. Uh, 28, acoustic guitar player. No, there's electric guitar and uh, and singing and all that stuff, but no, nobody strumming an acoustic guitar out of nowhere for no reason. Uh, 29, reading a book scene. I didn't catch that in this. So. No. Yeah, yeah, and even though they talk about comic book stuff, you think they would have read a comic book or something in the film, but no, nobody did that. And finally, number 30, pee scene. Nobody talks about having to go pee or you don't see somebody pissing in this film at all. Um, yeah, no, I don't think so. No, so so that wraps up the uh, Franco Observer checklist. So I'd say uh, maybe 60% of the stuff on this, or maybe 50% was actually used in this, so... 
All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up here. I talked about 55 minutes. That went pretty quick, actually. Yeah. That was a lot lot quicker than I thought. So, Um, well, thank you very much, Ray, Red, and thank you very much, Euphoria. And, and, uh, you too, Ray. Um, (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, so I don't know. This was your first, uh, Jess Franco film. I would say that this is not the best one. Yeah. To judge Jess Franco on. This is, like I said, way toward the end of his career. Uh, his last film he shot on film and he goes into video shooting on VHS and stuff after this. So he's going really independent. Like he was doing independent films, like, cam films before a lot of the cam films in the 2000s era so he was ahead of the curve with that so um yeah so that's that's coming up here i probably got about another 15 episodes left and this gets wrapped up so uh so thank you for joining me today and hope to talk to you again yeah of course all right adios when it's noches bizarre i want my ear man to come